you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 is where we are headed. We're going to be continuing right where we left off last week in verse 39 in just a moment. But throughout the season of Advent so far, we have been considering this general theme of waiting. This theme of waiting. Is that, am, am I making that sound? Not sure? Okay, we'll, we'll keep rolling. Uh, we've been, what, what's that? All right. Uh, so, so far throughout the season of Advent, we've been considering this general theme of waiting, right? Waiting on the Lord, waiting for the fulfillment of all of God's promises. That's what this season is all about. But specifically, uh, we have been focusing in on Mary as she received and responded to the good news that Gabriel brought her, right? And, and so we've been looking through this conversation, this exchange that has happened between Mary and Gabriel. And at first she was troubled, right? And, and wondered, well, what in the world is going on? And then as, as the conversation kept going, Gabriel explained a little bit more. She leaned in deeper with a question, well, how can this be, right? How, how will this be? And then finally, she responds to this good news and answers with faith and accepts this powerful call that Gabriel has for her. Gabriel is calling her to join in the mission of God into bringing the capital W word of God into the world. And she's the one who is going to be doing this. All of these promises that God has been making to the ancestors for generations and generations are coming true through her, right? And, and throughout uh, this, as we've considered her response, we've been reflecting and saying, well, you know, we too are people who have received good news. And as we wait for the fulfillment of good news, we too at times are troubled and moved to wonder. We too at times run to God with all of our questions and, and wonders and Ultimately, we too are invited to join God in his mission to restore all things. And so in all of this, Mary has been showing us the way. She's been showing us how we are to respond and wait for the fulfillment of this good news. Now, back at the beginning of the series, I mentioned that popular song that we often hear this time of year. In fact, some of you, if you were here last night, heard it last night, that song, Mary, Did You Know? right? Hear it on the radio. We hear it all over the place. Mary, did you know? And it's a moving song in many ways, but so far as we've been reading through Luke, the answer to that question is yes. Mary knew. She knew quite a bit, actually. Gabriel told her quite a lot, but not only did Mary know that God was about to come and fulfill his ancient promises she actually sang her own song about it, which we've just sung together. The song, the Magnificat, is the Latin word for it. My soul glorifies, magnifies the Lord. 
She sang her own song about it. And we read it in Luke chapter 1. Now, I love this. I love that she responds with singing and, and rejoicing. You see, after hearing all of this from Gabriel, there is still quite a lot more waiting and more work to be done before even these promises are going to be fulfilled, right? There's nine months of waiting for this promised child to be born. And then, of course, the decades of raising that young child until he can finally be old enough to become that promised Messiah in the line of David. You know, I mean, all that Gabriel has declared is very exciting. But I think it would be very easy to respond, yes, with excitement, but also just feeling completely overwhelmed and, and even exhausted at the thought that, I mean, this is great, but all this work to be done, all this more waiting to happen, right? But what does she do? She rejoices. She sings. Mary prophesies and bears witness to the fulfillment of these promises. And this, too, is what we are called to as we wait and as we work. And so let's read together Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored as the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever just as he promised our ancestors. And Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. This is the word of God for the people of God. God. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, I thank you for the gift of your word and for all 
that you have done to come and fulfill your promises. God, I pray that as we consider the words of your scripture together this morning, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And so after Gabriel tells Mary about Elizabeth's pregnancy, she hurries off to visit Elizabeth. Mary greets Elizabeth. Elizabeth blesses Mary, and then Mary sings. So let's consider each of these moments in the story as we walk through the text together. So from the very start, this passage is filled with a kind of joyful energy. Verse 39, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, right? And that word hurried, it doesn't just mean she was rushing to get there. She was, you know, in a hurry. She was speeding on the road or whatever, right? There wasn't a Roman that was going to pull her over and give her a ticket. Uh, rather, it, it denotes an eagerness that moved her, this, this joyous desire, she hurried to get there. Mary is motivated by joy. And then in verse 40, she enters Zechariah's home and greets Elizabeth. Now, many of the commentaries that I read about this observed that this is very much the proper thing. This is exactly what you would expect. In that culture, it was custom for the lower status person to greet the higher status person, right? And by all accounts, Elizabeth is of much higher status than Mary. Elizabeth is older. We, we know from earlier in Luke that Elizabeth is a descendant of Aaron. And so she has kind of this, this uh, role that she has, this descendants, this ancestry that she has. Um, and she was also married to a priest, right? And so all of these things are, she's a fairly well-established woman in her setting, in her context. Meanwhile, Mary is young, and though she's betrothed, she's still unmarried, and she has no particular social status, right? And, and so it would be completely expected for Mary, the lower-status person, to be the one who goes forth and greets Elizabeth. And then what, what's unexpected, though, is what happens next. Generally, after the younger one greets the older, custom would have the older one simply receive the one. Oh, come on in. Let's visit. But instead of merely receiving Mary, Elizabeth bursts forth and not only blesses, but, but celebrates her, right? In verse 42, in a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you, among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Now, I want to look at some of these blessings that Elizabeth exclaims, but first, I just want to ask this question, right? How does Elizabeth know, right? How does she know about this? I mean, it's not like uh, maybe Mary sent a letter ahead of her, but probably not. Gabriel told Mary about Elizabeth, not the other way around. And yet, Elizabeth proclaims, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child that you will bear. 
How does she know this? Well, the verse right before seems to give us an indication. In verse 41, it says that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She was filled with the Holy Spirit, and then she began to exclaim all of these things, all of these blessings. And so here's what we have going on in this scene. Mary, remember, has been overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. She comes to greet Elizabeth and will soon pour out this powerful prophetic song. Meanwhile, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and begins blessing and prophesying over Mary. And so this scene, we have two women filled with the Holy Spirit prophesying over one another and the whole world, the blessing and the promise and the activity of God. This is the kingdom of God. This is a picture of the kingdom of God at work. Right? It doesn't come through powers and authorities in the world, but is first made manifest among women prophesying and children leaping. This is the kingdom of God that comes in the least expected places. Now, what all does Elizabeth exclaim by the Holy Spirit? Well, first, she blesses Mary. Then, she blesses Mary's child. And then she offers another blessing that in many ways serves as an invitation to all of us. And so, first, she blesses Mary with the words, Blessed are you among women. Blessed are you among women. And a blessing like this one occurs one other place in Scripture. We read something like this one other place in Judges chapter 5. Deborah is one of the great leaders of Israel, one of the great judges of Israel during that time. She, after winning this wonderful battle, sings a song uh, and in it, she declares this of a woman named Yael. Most blessed of women, be Yael. The wife of Heber the Kenite, most blessed of tent-dwelling women. He asked for water, and she gave him milk. So she goes to tell the story of Yael, right? Um, he asked for water, she gave him milk. In a bowl fit for nobles, she brought him curdled milk. And then her hand reached for the tent peg, her right hand for the workman's hammer. And she struck Sisera. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. Right? The, it took a sharp turn there. Right? Um, now, Sisera, whose name means snake or serpent, was one of Israel's leading enemies, right? Is, is heading them off all over the place. And after fleeing from a battle, Sisera takes refuge in Yael's tent. And Yael's name means Yahweh is God 
Yael, Yahweh is God. So she welcomes him into her tent. She, he asks for water, but she gives him milk instead, right? And she gives him a place to rest and lay down after he's fled from this battle. And while he's slept, she takes a tent peg and drives it through his head straight into the ground. And so through Yael's mighty hand, Sisera is crushed, and Israel is delivered. And that's the story. But do you hear the story behind the story? Right? I mean, if we just translate those names, through Yahweh is God's mighty hand, the serpent was crushed, and God's people were redeemed. That's the story of Yael. The story echoes all the way back to Genesis, right? So whenever God says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And so the offspring of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. We see a hint of that with Yael in Judges, and Deborah sings of her most blessed of women. And here in Luke, Elizabeth declares the very same thing about Mary. Blessed are you among women. Because truly, it is through Mary's offspring that the serpent will finally be crushed. This is what Elizabeth declares right here. The very same blessing spoken over Yael. And so after blessing Mary, Elizabeth then goes forth to bless Jesus. She says, blessed is the child who you will bear. And she asks, why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord would come to me? And so filled with the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth knows about this coming birth of Jesus. She blesses this child who is to be born. But even more than that, she declares him Lord. Who, who am I that the mother of my Lord would come to me. So the very first person in the gospel of Luke to declare Jesus as Lord is this woman named Elizabeth. Once more, this is a picture of the kingdom of God, right? The disciples will have a lot of catching up to do with these women much later on. The kingdom of God comes in the least expected places prophesying women and leaping babies in the womb. And then finally, after Mary and the child, Elizabeth offers another blessing that serves as an invitation to all of us, the readers. Verse 45 says, Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Notice how the language has shifted here from that second person, you, to a third person, she, right? 
She, this sort of expands this blessing. She is no longer referring only to Mary, but to any who would believe the word of the Lord that is fulfilled in them. Right? Not only a blessing upon Mary, who trusted God and spoke, may your word to me be fulfilled, we talked about last week. But it's a blessing on anyone who would trust in the Lord. And surely this is the greatest blessing of all. There's one author that observed, although being the mother of the Savior bestows on Mary a great privilege, her faithfulness is something even more noteworthy. Even more than the physical relationship she has with her son, Mary's spiritual walk with the Lord as a disciple is what makes her most blessed. She is blessed among women. She is blessed because of the, the son that she is to bear. But most of all, she is blessed because she has trusted the Lord. She has believed that the Lord will do what he has said he will do. And this is an invitation, I think, for all of us. That God does not only look at our physical actions getting checked off of a list. Did you go to church? Check. Did you do a good deed? Check. Did you avoid that bad deed? Check. Right? All right, I'm doing good. No, God is not looking at those things. Rather, God looks deep into our hearts, searching for faith, asking that question, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Right? It is in trusting God that we find the greatest blessing. And we see that as Elizabeth proclaims, filled with the Holy Spirit. And so Elizabeth prophesies over Mary and blesses her for her faith. And then in response, Mary begins to sing. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Now, th there's so much to say and reflect on uh, with Mary's song, but I just want to emphasize two things today. The first is the tense that we read throughout the song. And the second is a transition we see between the first half and the second half of the song. Tense and transition. So first, there is the tense throughout the song. It is a thrilling and exciting thing that God is moving amidst Mary and Elizabeth. But as we said earlier, at this point, the promises are still waiting to be fulfilled, right? Uh, Gabriel has come and said, hey, it's happening, but, but it still hasn't happened, right? She's still waiting. Elizabeth is around six months pregnant at this point, has a few more to go. Mary has just become pregnant with probably about nine more to go, uh, and then there's the many years that we mentioned of raising the children and all of that, right? There's a lot more ahead, much more waiting and work to be done. Nonetheless, Mary rejoices. And throughout the song, she does not only rejoice at what God will do, but over and over says what God has done. 
rejoices in what God has done. He has been mindful of his servant. The mighty one has done great things. He has performed mighty deeds. He has scattered the proud. He has brought down rulers, has lifted up the humble, has filled the hungry, has sent the rich away, has helped Israel just as he promised. Now, this tense It shows us a couple of things. First, it shows us that one of the things we can do while we wait for God's promises to be fulfilled is to look back at the many promises God has already faithfully fulfilled. As we wait for God to act, we can remember how God has already acted. We know that God will be faithful because God has been faithful. I mean, after all, Mary could easily be referencing countless stories from Scripture with, these, with the words of this song, right? The mighty deeds of delivering God's people from Egypt, bringing down the ruler Pharaoh, lifting up that small nation of Israel, filling the hungry with manna in the wilderness. And that's just one of the stories, right? Or what about lifting up the humble boy, David, dethroning the proud King Saul, providing food for David and his mighty men in the wilderness as they were on the run. It's another story. She could easily be singing about, right? On and on it goes. We could find countless stories throughout Scripture of God having done these very things that Mary sings about here. On and on, story after story throughout Scripture, God is doing these mighty deeds and helping his people just as he's promised. And so as we wait for God to act in the future, we do well to remember all of the ways that God has acted in the past. But I think there's something even more to Mary's words here. Because as a prophetic song, these words do not only reference the past of what God has done, they also point toward the future. Through her son, God will scatter the proud. God will bring down the powers and principalities. Even death itself will be brought down. Through her son, God will lift up the humble, feed the hungry, fulfill all of his promises. But by faith... Mary declares all of these things that God is about to do in the past tense. Bible scholar Scott McKnight describes it this way. He says, So confident was Mary's faith in God's promise through Gabriel that she put all of these lines in the past tense. The conception was just a few days behind her, but conviction, her conviction was that God's promise was as good as done. And so the tense of Mary's song shows us what faith looks like. 
In faith, we look back at all that God has done, and in faith, we stand utterly confident in all that God will do so that we can even pronounce it in the past tense. God has done this. In addition to the tense throughout her song, is the other thing that I want to point out, and that's this transition that occurs about midway through the song. Notice verses 46 through 49. Mary sings about what God has done for her. She says, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. He's been mindful of, of me, his, his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Right? This first half of the song is she's reflecting on all that God has done for her. But then in the second half, there's a transition. In verse 50, she sings, His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. And so she transitions from the focus on herself to God's action from one generation to the next, concluding in verse 55 with all their ancestors. And this too is a sign for us that yes, we have been saved. God has done mighty things for us and in our lives, but those things are not ever meant to end with us. Mary knows that she has been blessed and that God has done wonderful things for her, but she knows that the purpose of that is for all of God's people to be redeemed. For all of God's people to be set free. This is not just for her, you know, me and myself and my Savior, but it's for all of God's people. And she sees that. She knows that. We must affirm and welcome and reflect on the personal and powerful things that God has done in our lives. But our faith cannot stop there. We are called to move beyond ourselves into lives lived for others, into acts of love and service. The mighty things God has done in our life are meant to lead us to the lives of others, to proclaim and live out those mighty deeds for each of them as well. So this is the song that Mary sings. As we come to a close, I want to share just a few ways that we might respond to all of this. And one of them is that throughout this entire scene, there's this constant picture and pointing to community, right? Mary, the first thing she does is hurries and runs to be with Elizabeth. Now, if you remember, we talked last week about the fact that Mary, by being an unwed pregnant woman, would have immediately been a social outcast. For much of her pregnancy, she was probably living in some kind of isolation, cut off from other people, 
surrounded by rumor and suspicion. Oh yeah, an angel visited you. Cool. Sure. Right? Right? She, she would have been cast out and isolated. And so she runs to the one person that the angel had mentioned. Elizabeth, hey, at least she'll know. At least she'll know what this is like. She knows what it is to have received good news. And this is what it is for us as God's people. We often find ourselves living in moments of isolation, on the edge, cast out from whatever might be going on in the world, surrounded by rumors and suspicion. And so we run to one another to remember, hey, we've got this good news. Do you remember it? It's what we come together each week to remind each other of. Good news. We aren't isolated. We are together. And we can proclaim this good news here to each other, but it does not end with us. Mary's song does not end with her singing about herself and Elizabeth, but singing about generation to generation and all of God's people. So we run to one another in community, but we also run out toward others in community to love and serve. That's a thread throughout this whole story that we are moved, drawn to community, and sent into community together. Another theme throughout this that we've already mentioned is that theme of rejoicing while we wait, which can be, well, it's not really natural, right? Whenever I'm waiting around, I don't really want to rejoice. Maybe I want to moan and be frustrated, and when is this all going to come together? But Mary shows us that one of the ways that we wait, actively wait, is by rejoicing and declaring the things that are yet to come, trusting that God's promises are already as good as done. We rejoice and declare these things together. And so may we be a community just like we see here, filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking the truth of God over one another, blessing one another, running out to love and serve others, and rejoicing in the Lord. The next song that we're going to sing together is a classic song that we sing at Christmas time, but it was not originally written as a Christmas song. It was originally written as an Advent song. Joy to the World is not actually about Jesus' birth. It's not about his first coming. It declares the joy of his second coming when he will come to rule over all things and finally make all things new. That is the hope that we have. This is what we lean toward and long for. And so let us sing this together, not just about this Christmas time, but about the coming of the Lord that we hope for. May we rejoice.